Well, there you go. Hopefully that'll help out this evening as you're watching the Broncos win the Super Bowl. Amen. Yeah, hallelujah. That's right. I know Russell Wilson loves Jesus, but Manning's just better. Let's be honest about it. So, sorry about that. We're in the uh, middle of a series right now called Life Hacks. And uh, what we're doing is we're looking at uh, eight statements that Jesus made, and we're kind of pushing into those statements, trying to understand them, getting our head around it a little bit. And then uh, after we look at a couple of those each week, uh, trying to turn them into life hacks for you. So giving you five useful things at the end of the conversation uh, so you can kind of quickly remember them and apply them. Uh, the last uh, few weeks, I put the life hacks in your notes there so you can look over those. And if you want to hear the whole conversation, um, go out to our website, graceohio.org, and you can watch the conversation there. You can listen to it. You can get a free podcast through iTunes if you want. In fact, you, I think you can sign up on iTunes to have it sent to you every week if you want to do that. Um, if you don't know how, ask your eight-year-old. They'll show you and um, uh, catch up to all those things. We're looking at these things. They're in Matthew chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, open them there. Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. You can use those. It's page 677 in those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible or a newer one, please just take that one with you and keep it. Write your name in it. Love for you to have it. If you're electronic, we use the version app, Y-O-U version. So you can download that, open it, hit live, and then our zip code is 44333. If you've never done that, that app it has all the notes on it. You can take notes. You can email your notes to yourself. You can text us off of that app. It's a nice app, so uh, lock into that if you want. So Matthew chapter 5 is what we're looking at, and uh, we've covered from verse 3 down so far. So it starts with uh, verse 3. Blessed are, that word blessed, and the original language is the, it's the literal translation into our vernacular would be happy. So blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed or happy are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then the two we're going to talk about this weekend. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's just start there with uh, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So we've been talking all through this conversation about context, right? So context is a big deal. Anytime you're interacting with the Bible, never read one verse and isolate it or take one statement and isolate it. That's where most false teaching and all kinds of craziness tends to happen. You always want to put that statement or that verse into context. And context has two major layers to it. The first major layer is the rest of the Bible. So what else does the Bible have to say? What's the kind of the whole of the teaching around that concept. It's a big, big deal. It's a major layer that has a ton of nuances to it we won't go into, but it's just a major question you can ask. The second major layer of context is culture, culture. So there were, there were people that this stuff was being said to, and they would have heard it and received it in a certain way, just like you and I would. And then Jesus himself was a, a, a Jewish rabbi, right? So we know from the Bible that these were ancient Jewish people he's teaching here. He is an ancient Jewish rabbi. 
So there's words have meaning, cultural meaning, and when we press into that and we understand that culture more, then we understand how Jesus would want those uh, words and concepts translated into our own life. So when you look at blessed are the peacemakers, we need to look at the context of the Bible, and then we need to look at the context of culture, or we'll probably interact with that statement inaccurately. The reason that we would struggle with that is because when we think of peace, we attach our cultural ideas of peace to that word, right? Doesn't mean that we're wrong, it just means that we're North Americans and not ancient Jewish people. And so when we think of peace, we tend to think of calm, stress-free. We tend to think of everybody settling down, right? We tend to think of uh, hippies, like peace, let's all peace. And we tend, to, we tend to think of peace at all costs. And so we would almost hear this, blessed are those who go and calm everything down so that we all get along. It's how we would tend to hear that. Like I said, it's not wrong. It's just the way that we use that word. It's no big deal. But it actually would really cause us to misread what Jesus was saying here if we read all of those ideas into it. So what Jesus is not saying, let's just invert it a little bit. What Jesus is not saying, he's not saying blessed are the pacifist. He's not saying that. He's not saying blessed are the enablers. Uh, he's not saying blessed are the spineless. He's not saying blessed are the passive. You know, let, let's just let it go. He's not saying blessed are the calm. You know, the, the, the you know, hamana, 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 I'm at peace kind of thing. I see rainbows and unicorns and bubbles, right? He's not saying blessed are the calm. This is fascinating. He's not even saying blessed are the peaceful. He's not saying that, okay? Now, not all of those concepts are wrong or, or anti-Bible, right? So some of those things you can find, for instance, there are times in our lives that the Bible would tell us to have a pacifist mindset. There's certain times that that's true. There's other times it's not, Okay? So it's not like that's all wrong. It's just not what he's saying right here in this statement. Jesus is making a very intentional statement and a very clear one when he says, blessed are, happy are the peacemakers. So a peacemaker is someone who intentionally interjects himself into a situation. A peacemaker is someone who who does something willful. They see something and instead of just being caught in it or stuck in it, they're moving themselves into it. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they will be called children of God. So when Jesus said that, he's saying this to this ancient Jewish audience, and he himself is a Jewish rabbi. And so Jesus would have been talking about this um, Jewish concept that comes from this word, it's an old Hebrew word, and the word is shalom. So blessed are the shalom makers. Now shalom means peace, but it doesn't have a clean definition to it. So it's not like um, one plus one equals shalom. So everybody go do this and this and then you'll have shalom. That's not, that's not the idea of shalom. Shalom speaks more about an environment, okay? So if I wished you shalom or I prayed for shalom, what I'm talking about is a relational environment, I want you to have a peaceful relationship or be in an environment that's at peace or to be a people that's at peace. 
And shalom would apply to people in two different ways. One is it would apply to us kind of in individual circumstances, kind of human being on human being kind of a thing. So if you're fighting with your spouse, I might pray for shalom. And, and that doesn't mean that they need to get their act together to do this and this and then they'll have shalom. It's, it's more like I want you guys to be reconciled. I want you to be at peace with each other. Um, if families were fighting, you may want shalom for that home, uh, uh, an environment of peace. You can even put this into uh, people groups, right? So if, if these two ethnic groups were in conflict with each other, you may pray, pray for shalom, that you would come to peace. And you can even think of this as nation on nation, as far as human being to human being. So we want to be at shalom, right, with like Canada, because you know how they are. <laughs> and so, you know, like, it's like we want shalom, we want nations to be at peace with each other. So that's one kind of layer of shalom. The second meaning that these guys would have known instinctually is the idea of shalom or an environment or a condition of peace between man and God. So I want to be at shalom with God. I want a relationship of peace with God. I want to be reconciled with God so that I'm not in tension or at war with God, but we exist in a peaceful environment with each other. So Jesus says, blessed are those who are shalom makers, right? So I'm coming in and I'm, I'm going to be the, <clears throat> the catalytic thing that, that brings some peace to this environment. So I'm looking at people and they're in conflict with each other and I'm a peacemaker. I'm on the outside. I'm not just stuck in it. I'm not like caught up in it. I'm going to intentionally involve myself I'm going to look at that breakdown of relationship, and I'm going to say, wait a minute, there is a truth or a practice, a godly truth or a godly practice that's missing here. That's why there's conflict. So I'm going to bring peace. I might identify that godly truth or identify that godly practice to say, you know, guys, if, if we could adhere to this truth and apply it, if we could practice this truth, it would bring peace to this relationship, Okay. And so I'm, the, I'm a reconciler of this tension, whether it's an individual or a group or whatever it is, shalom, right? And then the second layer is as a peacemaker, I'm going to help people be at peace with God. So I'm going to look at someone who, whose relationship with God is broken down, and I'm going to come into that on purpose, I'm going to come into that relationship, and I'm going to say, hey guys, there's this truth of this practice that's missing in your relationship with God. I want to, I want to tell you about it, and I want to help you walk through it so you can be reconciled to God, so you can have shalom with God. This is actually what the Apostle Paul was talking about in <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to flip over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's about, about 200 pages to your right in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page 805, and there's Bibles in the chairs. Verse 18, so Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled to us to himself through Christ. So God is a peacemaker with human beings. The Bible says every human being is born into sin. We're not naturally good, we're naturally evil, right? So we're born into sin. And because our hearts are defined by sin, the Bible says that our natural, the natural state of our humanity is that we're at war with God, okay? That we hate God in our hearts. So God makes peace. He reconciles us 
Jesus came, lived, died, rose again. We have the ability to be forgiven for our sins through Christ and Christ alone, okay? And that causes us to have shalom, to be at peace with God because he reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he goes on and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, We are therefore God's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So just like a president or a king would send an ambassador with a peace, terms of peace, right? You do this, you think this way, we'll have peace with each other. God says, I have come to peace with you. Here are my terms. Belief in Christ, belief that he was raised from the dead, the forgiveness of sin, right? And turning from your sin, that's my terms, reconciliation. Now we, Christ followers, we take that message and we present those terms to those who are not at peace with God, right? So a peacemaker, a peacemaker helps to make peace. They find the missing truth, missing practice and relationships between people. And then we do the same thing with people's relationship with God. Here's the missing truth, here's the missing practice in your relationship with God. And I want, I want to be a part of helping to reconcile this going to point out that missing truth, that missing practice, and I'm going to be the intentionally involved peacemaker, right, so that you can be at shalom with each other and at your relationship then with God. Now, what this means is pretty profound when you go to apply it. So because Jesus is not saying, blessed are the pacifists, Right? Because that one, you could say, well, I'm a pacifist, so I, I apply it across the board. I turn the other cheek. Um, I, I turn a blind eye to wrongs that are done to me. I won't carry a, a gun and serve in the army. Right? I'm, a, I'm a pacifist across the board. Well, that doesn't apply here. Or blessed are the enablers. Right? I just, you know, I just love everybody for who they are. We all struggle. Right? Blessed are the enablers. That would apply across the board, but it's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. So peacemaker doesn't have this clean definition. No matter what, do this, right? So what it means is this, that a peacemaker is one who thinks a certain way and one whose goal is reconciliation, shalom, between people and between people and God. So being a peacemaker is going to apply uniquely given whatever the circumstances you happen to find yourself in. So there, there are times that being a peacemaker is compromise, right? So let's just hypothetically say that, that somebody brought Krispy Kreme donuts to your house. And hypothetically, the boys were fighting about the last donut, right? So mom would walk in she would cut the donut in half, you would get half, you would get half, and there would be peace, right? She's a peacemaker, as opposed to dad who might walk in, yell at the boys for fighting, and eat the donut himself. <laughs> I'm just saying that could happen. You never know. That could happen. I heard, I heard about that one time, right? So, so that what, uniquely, like, the answer for peace there is like, guys, come on, could be selfish. It's a simple compromise. You get half, you get half, right? There's other times that, <clears throat> that peacemaking would apply differently, right? 
So if you're a child under your parents' authority, so you're a teenager, right, and you're under your parents' authority, and you're rebelling against your parents' authority, the path to peace is you simply submitting to your mother and father as unto the Lord. They are literally God's voice in your life at this time of your life. So the path to peace is knock it off, obey your parents, and let them exercise the authority that was given to them by God. That's what, that's what would make peace. There is, no other, there is no compromise there. You're wrong, they're right. End of conversation. Quit being wrong. Okay? Uh, sometimes peace is an issue of uh, mercy. So somebody has wronged me. They now owe a debt to me. There is no way that they can ever make that right. It is such an egregious debt that they can never make that right. So I'm choosing, so that, so that we can be together as a family or so that we cannot have tension in the workplace, I'm choosing to forgive them and release them. See, I absorb it. I'm a peacemaker. That, that's what needs to happen here. Sometimes, oftentimes, peace involves confession. So if, you, if you've sinned against me, you, you may have to come to me and confess that sin to me and tell me that you did that. I may not even know unless you confess it to me. And that's the only way that we can begin to restore that relationship. So sometimes uh, peace involves repayment, right? So if you break into my house and steal my TV and it's in the back of your car and I catch you pulling out of my driveway... And I walk up to you, I'm like, where's my TV? That's my TV. And, you're, and you look at me and say, I, I am sincerely sorry. Forgive me. Will you forgive me? I would look at you and I would say, yeah, I'll forgive you as soon as you give me my TV back, right? So there's a, there's a repayment there. See how that works? So it depends. There's unique circumstances. And the peacemaker, it's not one plus one equals two. The peacemaker is going into those circumstances and working to bring about shalom, peace, restoration of relationship. And they want to bring about shalom to all that they encounter. And they want to look for solutions uh, to that unique circumstances that brings honor to God. So the apostle James says this, James 3.18. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Those who make shalom, the, 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 how I know that I've come to a place of godly peace is that the harvest, the outcome is God-honoring relationships. Well, how do I get from here to here? Well, it's probably unique, right? But if we don't have a God-honoring relationship, then we haven't actually come to peace. See, you can shake hands and make up and not mean it, right? But to actually work something through to the point of peace and so Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, okay? Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the children of God. I think if Jesus was here today in Akron, Ohio, uh, talking to us, he would say it this way, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be easily identified as children of God. People who are at peace with God seek to make peace and be a peacemaker with other people because they take on that mantle of being a minister of reconciliation. Okay, 
Now, the second, next statement Jesus makes is really fascinating also, and you're going to see here in a minute how they kind of go together. And the next statement Jesus makes is really fascinating because it's very counterintuitive, especially to we North Americans. Okay, so on the, on the surface, it doesn't even make sense. When you unpack it, you'll, you'll see that there's a lot of richness to it. So verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, right? So if you're persecuted because you're annoying or you're persecuted because you're a jerk, that's on you. But if you're persecuted because of righteousness, because of your right relationship with God, see, blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness, there's the kingdom of heaven. And then this is the only statement that Jesus immediately elaborates upon. Verse 11 Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See, it's back to that. If you're just a diphthong and people don't like you, that's your problem. But if you are righteous and you're persecuted because of God, you're blessed. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's a very counterintuitive statement. Okay, blessed are you, blessed are those, blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness. The reason that statement is so counterintuitive to the North American ear is because of a false teaching that's very prevalent in North America, okay? The old word, the old term for false teaching is heresy. It's a, it's a, and that's what this is, it's a heresy. It's very, very prevalent in North America. And here's the heresy, it's this teaching, if you follow Jesus, your life will go the way you want it to go. If you follow Jesus, your life will go the way you want it to go. If you follow Jesus, you will receive from God what you want from God. If you follow Jesus, your life will calm down. So have enough faith in Jesus and you will get from Jesus what you determine is best for you. It's called a prosperity gospel and it's actually heretical. But it's something that we hear a ton. You can hear it on the radio, you hear it in music, you hear it on TV, right, it's all over the place. We hear it a ton, so much so that it actually seeps into our logic. So this is the way that we tend to think. I'm following Jesus, you know, I I tithe this week, I gave my 10% to the Lord. That's why I had such a good week, right? I resisted temptation, I didn't look at porn, I had a fantastic week. I'm following Jesus. My life is going great. Okay, now, the inverse is true. I came back from the doctor. They tell me I have a major heart problem. God has abandoned me. Because I have a difficulty in my life. So that means God is absent from my life. God is present in my life when my life goes the way that I want it to go. Now, that's a very dangerous teaching because when you read the statement, happy are you who are persecuted, wait a minute, if God is on my side, there's no trouble in my life. And that teaching, that prosperity gospel is not in the Bible. You you have to twist the Bible six ways to Tuesday to find that, and even then you're reaching If you want to read the Bible and find the teaching that is crystal clear, the thing that Jesus promises 
without having to bend it, without having to manipulate it, without having to displace things. The thing that is absolutely guaranteed by Jesus himself is this. He says, guys, listen, I promise you that in this world, you will have trouble. I promise you that people will hate you because of me. I promise you that father will turn against son, son against father, daughter against uh, mother, parents against children, that they will be divided because of me. If you follow me, you will be persecuted for it. Merry Christmas, right? I mean, uh, it, it is, from Genesis Revelation, it is crystal clear that if you follow Christ, there's a price tag. It is murky and iffy and heretical that if you follow Jesus, everything will go the way you want it to go in your life, okay? So because we have that bad teaching, it affects our logic. And when, we, when it affects our logic, we read the Bible, we read the Bible wrong. So we would read the Bible, we'd kind of think like this. We would read these statements and we would think, well, since I follow Jesus, my life will go well. Therefore, when I am merciful, everybody's going to be nice to me. When, when I pursue purity of heart, moral purity, everyone's going to celebrate that. See, when, when I act as a peacemaker, I probably will get a plaque, right? Because I'm being godly, so the more godly I am, the more people are going to feed back that that's positive. And the, Jesus said, this is the secret to happiness. And to me, that's what happiness is, because some guy on TV said that if you follow Jesus, you tell him what you want, he gives it to you. So we'll look at these statements, we will read them wrong, we go to apply them, we get the exact opposite reaction we thought we were going to get, and then we look and say, well, the Bible doesn't work. So why would Jesus look at us here, and by the way, read, the, read all of his teachings. You'll find it all over the place. Well, and read the Apostle Paul, all over the place, right? Why would Jesus look at us here and say happiness is found in persecution when you're persecuted because of righteousness? How does this work, and why does it work that way? Here's the deal. Here's the problem. Following Jesus, this is what happens. Following Jesus puts you in direct contrast to the thinking and the values which are natural to our human nature because of sin. So the mainstream, everybody's going this way. And because the condition, the one thing every human being shares with every other human being is our sin. So everyone is a sinner, the Bible says. So because of sin, sin defines our thinking and it defines our values. So that means that all these behaviors, attitudes, and actions are logical to everyone. When I become a follower of Jesus, and my sin is forgiven, and Christ begins to transform my heart, I'm no longer defined and directed by sin. <clears throat> I'm now defined and directed by Christ. And Christ is going to teach the exact opposite of what is mainstream cultural thought. This has always been the case. This is nothing new to us in North America. This has always been the case for Christ followers. 
that following Jesus, in fact, the word repent, when you repent of your sin, literally means do a 180. So by virtue of the fact that I'm following Jesus, I'm going to swim upstream. I'm going to cut against the grain. I'm going to pet the cat backwards, right? All this stuff is going to happen in my life. I am naturally, because I'm defined and directed now by Christ, I'm naturally swimming against the mainstream of thought and values and practices. So Jesus says, when you do that, it's going to cause friction. Persecution is a norm. It is natural. In fact, that's what I promise you. Okay? I promise you that that's going to cause you trouble. I promise you that people are going to hate you because of me, because you are swimming and living in direct conflict with the mainstream of whatever the human thought tends to be for that day. Because that is true then, when we go to live out the heart and the character of Christ, tension is the natural result. When you go to apply Christ's truth to your life, the natural result is going to be persecution, okay? So it's kind of like this. Living a merciful life is going to garner much more persecution for you than living a vengeful one all day, every day. So let's say you have your family, you have a group of friends, somebody does something that's deemed unacceptable and now they're on the outside of that, the group is over here, natural human tendency is going to kick in because sin defines the natural human being. We're not talking to them anymore. Can you believe what a bleep bleep she is? I can't stand it. We're not inviting them to Thanksgiving. They're not invited anymore. Let's talk about it on Facebook. Let's Twitter about it. This is awesome. Let's send a Snapchat. That way she can't tell that we did it. Right? So, yeah, Jeffy knows. So, it, right? So this is the natural human reaction. When I step out of this, in between them and this group, as a peace maker, and I say, let's be merciful, she doesn't deserve it. I know, but neither do we. Let's be merciful. This group is going to turn on you. You're going to be persecuted because of righteousness. If you decide to live a morally pure life, pure in spirit, a life that's a heart that's defined by morality, you will be persecuted. I dare you to keep your virginity till you're married. You're going to pay for that. I, d- I dare you to look at someone and say, hey, I, I think living together is a sin. I, th- I think being sexually active before marriage is a sin. You're going to pay for that. I, I dare you to, to walk into the dorm room and say, I don't th- dude, I don't, I don't think we should have this pornography on the computer. I don't, th- I don't think that joke's appropriate. I don't, I don't think that, that lifestyle is God-honoring. I, I dare you to do that. Your desire to be pure in heart, you will get much more heat for living a moral life than you will ever get for living an immoral one because the norm is immorality. So when I step out of that norm, I'm going to move against that grain, and it's going to cause friction. You will be persecuted because of that move. 
Seeking peace will cause much greater conflict in your life than if you just participated in the conflict. Why? Because everything moves this way. Living a life of generosity will cause much more tension in your life than being materialistic. Living a life of selflessness will cause much greater tension in your life than living a life of selfishness. Why? Because by nature, it causes you to step out of the mainstream of what's going on around you. And Jesus says, when that happens, when you are defined and directed by me, you will be persecuted for it. And you're blessed. You're blessed when you're persecuted because of righteousness. Now here's the awesome part. Verse 12, I praise God for verse 12, ready? Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, you're self-righteous, you're old-fashioned, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you, they lie about you because of me, right? Verse 12, Jesus said, here's the math on it. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So Jesus says here, he's going to say there's three things that happen when you're willing to endure persecution. Number one, you're going to honor God. So rejoice and be glad. I'm defined by God. I'm not defined by man. Okay? Number two, you're going to be rewarded for it. I'm going to make bank in heaven because I'm willing to be persecuted here on earth. That word persecuted, that concept is the same concept as being martyred. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation that those who are martyred receive a greater reward eternally. So I'm banking it in heaven because I'm willing to sustain some heat on earth, okay? So I honor God, I get reward, but watch this part. This part's fascinating. Look at the end of verse 12, okay? Look at it. Rejoice, be glad, raise your reward in heaven, comma, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What does that mean? Who were the prophets? Most of the time when we think about a Bible prophet, what we think about are the guys that dressed weird and walked in and said, you're going to go to hell. You better turn or burn. Right? That's how we tend to think of a prophet. That's not who the prophets were. Who the prophets were is they were people who proclaimed hope. So they would walk in to a situation that was devoid of truth and godly practice. And they would say to that situation, listen, if you turn, there is a loving, merciful God who will receive you. You are in sin, but if you turn from your sin, there is a loving, merciful God who's eager to forgive you. And when those prophets were faithful to that, there are times that they would just be persecuted. Put them in a well, fry them at the stake, throw them in jail, right? That's certainly true. There were other times that people, ready, listened. And God would spare whole nations. Jonah, the people of Nineveh, listened, proclaimed, you're in sin, but you don't have to be if you turn to God, and they did it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're in sin, you're bowing down to an idol, but if you turn from it, there's a murder, and they did it. Daniel, there's others, right? All through the Bible, that the prophets would proclaim a hope 
They would identify a sin, but they would proclaim a hope. It wasn't just, you're a, I'm just letting you know that on Tuesday you're going to get fried. Just want you to know that. It was never their message. Their message was, you're going to get fried, but if you don't want to be, you don't have to be. Because there's a loving, merciful God who will not tolerate your sin, but is eager to show mercy upon you. So Jesus applies this and he says, listen, those who are persecuted, if you're willing to, to, to cut against that grain, you're going to honor God, you're going to make bank in heaven, and, ready, you're going to lead people to hope. For example, I'm convinced that many people get divorced because no one ever told them they didn't have to. See, many of us are, are two, three generations deep in divorce, right? Grandparents got divorced, our parents got divorced. Now here we are. We hit the natural rocks, which are a part of every marriage, by the way. Every marriage goes through difficult times where you can't stand each other. It's nothing new. When you go through those difficult times, what happens? She goes to her team, he goes to his team. I married a diphthong. I'm serious. I think he's an idiot. See? We agree. Honey, if you're not happy, if this isn't what you want, if it's not working out how you thought, and the secret is no marriage ever does that, you should do what grandma did and what mom did. You should divorce. And then he goes to his team. She's a witch. I think I married Ursula. She's evil. She's awful. You're right, dude. You got to do what you got to do. Right? Which is a guy's way of saying, if you're not happy, right, we just condense it. You got to do what you got to do, man. Right? And then all this bad logic comes in. It'll be better for the kids. What? No one stands in, ready, as a peacemaker. There is another alternative. You don't actually have to do that. He cheated on me. That doesn't mean you have to divorce him. We haven't had sex in three years. That doesn't mean you have to divorce her. There is a greater power. There are things like mercy and compassion and forgiveness and repentance and restoration and all these things actually work. And if you can apply them, your marriage will actually turn out better than when you went into it. The person who proclaims that is always going to be the outsider. That's just that church guy. What does he know? You're going to be persecuted for it. It's no big deal. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to be lonely, and it's going to sting. But listen, what if it works? What if it works? Would it be worth it? Rejoice and be glad. When you got a buddy, and it's your buddy, you know, you always have a few beers with every weekend, 
and he is throwing his life away and trashing his kids and going to destroy his life. He's going to lose everything in the process. Are you loving that person by saying, yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do? Or if you looked at your buddy and said, dude, you're wrong, you're in sin, you're acting selfishly. By the way, you don't have to live that way. Now, you say that to your buddy, you're going to watch the Super Bowl by yourself. (laughs) But what if he changes? What if he responds? What if you alter the destiny of his family because you identified and proclaimed the missing truth and the missing practice? What if someone owes you something and there is no hope that they can repay it? And instead of, I'm gonna sue you in small claims court, I'm never talking to you again. What if you just wrote it off? Mercy, that's what it is, it's writing it off. What if you just did to them what God does to you all the time because you owe a debt you can't pay and God writes it off? You gotta pay for that? Oh, yeah, you're going to pay for that. Is it going to have ramifications? Sure it is. Is there going to be some element of persecution? Yeah. What if that is the act that caused the heart of God to finally dawn on that guy? What if it worked? Would it be worth it? And what Jesus is saying is, listen, guys, you're going to pay for this. Why? Because following me automatically means you're swimming upstream. Okay. But rejoicing with God, how come? Well, because you're going to honor me, and that's more important than anything else. Number two, you're going to make bank in heaven, right? You're just laying it up in heaven. Number three, this is how I've always gotten through to people. My people who follow me stand up like the prophets of old and proclaim the alternative. So not only am I swimming upstream, I'm telling everybody else that they should too. That's going to take some heat. But what if it works? What if it works? Rejoice and be glad. As great as the the payoff is huge. It's going to cost me something? Absolutely. Is my life going to go well? Probably not. Well, that guy said, I know, look at his hair. Do you want that? Okay. So rejoice and be glad. See how that works? All right. Peacemakers, they move in to make peace. And that's going to cause friction, for sure. And you're moving in with gentleness and respect. Don't move in as a jerk. If you're persecuted because you're a jerk, that's your problem. But if you move in with gentleness and respect, defined by love, and you just simply won't back off identifying the missing truth and the missing practice, that's their problem, and you will be blessed when you're persecuted because of righteousness. The great reward is given because of the great love for Christ, evidence in the one who suffered in order to help people be at peace with each other and with God. All right, that's the backstory. Let's turn it into life hacks. Ready? Five useful things. Here we go. Five useful things Jesus is teaching us right here. Number one, number one life hack, only the strong make peace. Only the strong make peace. 
Every image that you have about being a, a wimpy pushover, and that's what a peacemaker is, flush out of your brain, you gotta have a spine to be a peacemaker, okay? So calm, being an enabler is not God-honoring. That's just being a wimp. Being a peacemaker is a very, very different thing, and that's gonna apply differently in all situations, okay? But only the strong make peace. Number two, Vengeance is fast food for the soul. Life hack number two, vengeance is fast food for the soul. It's quick and easy, but in the end, you just wind up sick, <laughs> right? I'm starving, I'll eat a Big Mac, now I'm puking, right? <laughs> so you, you can satisfy your soul very, very shallowly, very, very quickly, but if you satisfy your soul on vengeance, you'll just wind up with cancer. It'll destroy you. If you do the hard, patient work of peacemaking, actually working through the issue so that shalom is the outcome, the harvest of righteousness is the outcome, it will satisfy your soul, it will satisfy your relationships, and the relationship between each other will honor Christ, and the relationship between the people and God will be Christ-honoring as well, okay? Only the strong make peace, vengeance is fast food for the soul, number three. The greatest spiritual gains usually involve pain. The greatest spiritual gains usually involve pain. Listen, I can tell you from life experience, and I can tell you from being a a, a spiritual leader, a pastor for over 20 years, if you want to be used by God, you're going to pay for it. Right? I don't even like to talk about this that much. Be honest with you, it brings up so many emotions in me. But guys, somewhere along the line, deciding what the reward is. And the question is not, am I going to pay for it? The question is, what if they listen? Would it be worth it? And I can tell you from personal experience and being a spiritual leader for over 20 years, it is so worth it. I would do it all again. Doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It just means it's worth it. Spiritual gain usually involves pain. Fourth life hack is this. Heroes are the ones running into the burning house. Heroes are the ones running into the burning house, right? Peacemakers are only needed in war zones. And this is what Jesus is saying. The, the nature of following me is you're the one running into the burning house. The heroes are not the people sitting on the side of the road commenting on the fact that the house is on fire. The house is burning down, dummies. They probably set that on fire themselves, right? They're not the ones critiquing the firefighters. Yeah, they would have got that hose out faster. They probably would have put that out, right? Heroes are the ones that take off. They run in. They go toward the bullets, not away from them. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, that's going to be the deal. You will have trouble. People will hate you. But what if you rescue them? You can't rescue somebody while standing on the sidewalk watching the house burn down. You got to go into it. So this is what peacemakers do. It's what the people of God do. They run in. 
Only the strong make peace. Vengeance is fast food for the soul. The greatest spiritual gains usually involve pain. Heroes are the ones running into the burning house. And the fifth one, this is my favorite. Real rebels follow Jesus. It's my favorite one. Real rebels follow Jesus. One of the things that cracks me up so much in life is folks that are, that have, that are like, uh, I'm going to rebel. You are. Oh, I'm going to rebel. How are you going to rebel? I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm going to ignore the Bible. I'm going to smoke pot. <laughs> and I'm going to rebel. I'm going to forsake all I've ever... And I look at a person like that, and I think to myself, by the way, you don't have to be young to rebel. I actually, I actually think older people rebel more. They're just more sophisticated in the way they do it, right? But I look at that, and I think, you're not rebelling. You're joining the mainstream. What are you talking about? You know what I'm going to do? What? I grew up in the church. You did. I'm going to leave the church. I'm going to go to college. I'm going I'm to sleep around and get drunk my freshman year. Wow, nobody's ever done that before. <laughs> what are you talking about? Where's the act of rebellion, right? Guys, listen, if, if you want to break out of the mainstream, if you want to be an individual, if you want to make your own way, live a life of mercy. Live a life of radical love. Take the gospel to people who don't know it. I'm going to rebel. What are you going to do? I'm going to go to Africa. I'm going to sleep on the dirt. I'm going to go to the bathroom in a hole. And I'm going to stare down guys with AK-47s and tell them about Jesus. Book me a ticket. I'll go with you. That's fun. Then we'll get tattoos. Be awesome. Your mom will love it. Right? I'd have your back on that all day long. So much of what we, we think we're so out of the... We're so... Because we join everybody up, that's not rebellion. That, that is mainstream. If you actually want to fight the man and rage against the machine, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And you'll get heat, and you'll also change the world. All right. Band's going to come out. You got this. Let's, let's do this while we're together. Let's steal a few minutes, okay, and just be quiet and be still and pray. And maybe ask God to kind of click all this stuff in your head and your heart, because I, I can show you like the big stuff, but really the way that you lock onto it is the way that God's going to have to help you lock onto it. So pray about this idea of peacemaking. Is there a relationship that you could be an agent of shalom in? All right, what's it look like? I don't know. But if you talk to God, and he'll help, he'll help you figure that out. So pray about that. And even this persecution, guys, there may be people that you love that you need to speak the truth to. Okay. Is that going to hurt? Yep. Yep. That's gonna, that's, it'll, it'll sting. That's, that's the wrong question. That's a given. What if they listen? What if they listen? What if God changes their heart, changes their life? So pray about it, right? Think about it. Hang out with God for a few minutes, even as we sing these songs together, and ask him to arrange all this to bring honor to him through these relationships.